This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Fans and welcome back to Rotowire Signature NHL Hockey Pod Podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host, as always, is AJ Scholz. He's great, really a great follow at AJ Scholz24, and uh, he's talking to you from Madison, Wisconsin. AJ, uh, before we start into the crux of the program, I want to talk to you about the hub cities. I'm certain we both agree that Las Vegas is going to be one of those two hub cities. It makes so much sense. I mean, you made the point off air before we started, you know, they, they just started to get the people get back into the casinos. It looks just as u- usual. And I was struck by the fact, actually, that the small percentage of people that are even wearing masks in the casino, it's mostly people without masks. So uh, things are really relaxed there, and I hope we don't see a spike in infections in the next few weeks out of that, that city or any place else for that matter. But that really struck me. And on the other side, in the east, I'm beating the drum for Toronto. And it's not because I'm a homer, but it makes a lot of sense that uh, to me that the NHL wants to have the uh, hockey mecca in Canada. Sorry, Canadians fans, but Toronto is the, the media center of the, of the country and uh, the, the home of uh, Sportsnet, and that's what really is driving my uh, feelings in this regard, AJ, because they got so much money tied up with the league as the major broadcast partner north of the border, and the hub is right here in Toronto, and uh, we have a lot of hotels, too, that are crying out for business in close proximity to the rink, and a lot of ice facilities around the arena and in close proximity as well. It just makes too much sense. The only proviso is that uh, restrictions need to be relaxed a little bit more in due course. I'm not asking for a speed up or a special dispensation, but this week uh, in Ontario, they've relaxed the protocol to allow for gatherings of up to 10 people as opposed to five. So things are headed in the same, in the right direction there. And they don't need to make a call in the hub city, I don't think, for at least a few more weeks. So... Uh, Though that's my call. I don't know if you have any strong feelings about it one way or another, but I'm pretty sure you agree with me on the Vegas call at least. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it just it makes so much sense. Um, you know, like I said off air, the 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 number of hotel accommodations available in Vegas is is off the charts, and I mean, they could probably. 
practically rent out an entire hotel if they really wanted to for all the all the teams there. Um, so that really makes makes a ton of sense. Um, I think the question about Toronto, you know, Paul, you make a really strong case for it, and and it makes a lot of sense uh, from from everything you said. The the question I think is going to be the number of people we are seeing that have to move like uh, travel to wherever it ends up being. And, and that could come down to it. You know, um, if it's, you know, the NHL is an international game, there's international players, there's guys on both sides of the border. So, uh, I'm not suggesting, you know, one side has more guys that would move or the other, but I think that's something the NHL has to look at, you know, if it's okay, we've got 500 guys that would have to cross the border north to go to toronto but we only have 400 guys that have to cross the border into the u.s if we pick you know pittsburgh or somewhere like that yeah so i think it might just come down to a numbers game to reduce the number of people that they're trying to move across the border here one way or the other but you certainly make a great case for why toronto is no doubt in consideration for one of those um you know guys are gonna have to come back from overseas either way regardless so i I think that isn't really a factor i think it's just you know how many u.s based players would have to move up to toronto or how many canadian based players would have to move down to pittsburgh and seeing whichever number smaller really could come down um to how that decision's made yeah and you're talking you're referring also without saying it that uh, we have currently in place between the borders a a two-week respite where people have to uh, basically isolate themselves if they do cross the border that's the current law in place as far as we know here but i do suspect that 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 will be relaxed in coming weeks and or maybe the players get a special dispensation so uh the, it's it's food for thought and uh, it really could be something of a real bonanza for the nhl if they do get these two cities in place because the outside of new york and la uh there's no two other markets that make as much sense in terms of the media uh, reach and so on from Toronto, AJ. But we have a, a, a great show lined up again today, and uh, we're going to continue with the series of uh, look at the team's cap structures. And we finally get around to one of the teams that I was looking forward to this week in the Montreal Canadiens, AJ. we got the Minnesota Wild, and then you got to be thrilled that Columbus Blue Jackets are in the mix because that gets us ever closer to one day talking about your favorite club down there in uh, Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I, And I have an interest in the Blue Jackets too, obviously, because the Leafs will be facing them in the first round of playoffs should that come to pass. And then when we finish that, look, we have the redraft of 2008, the amateur draft then, which was very heavily skewed in terms of all-star and maybe even future hall of fame caliber defenseman in that came out of this draft so really looking forward to to going through that with you as always but uh, aj you drive the the uh, salary cap structure thing and you also have our weekly reminder for our listeners i'm sure yeah absolutely you know before we dive in uh to those those cap articles uh just reminder that throughout the week uh, if you have questions about hockey in any uh, kind of realm, um, we are happy to dive into that. You know, keeper questions for for those formats when we get there. Uh, if you have tough choices for your playoff pools, obviously we are here to help in whatever fashion we can. Uh, as Paul mentioned, you can follow me at AJ Scholes24, and you can follow Paul the Statsman at Statsman22. As you mentioned, Paul, we'll start off uh, with the Montreal Canadiens this week. And so, uh, you know, not too many, uh, you know, not too many tough choices. I I don't see this club uh, compared to some of the others that we've already talked about in in previous weeks. 
the Habs have nine forwards, five defensemen, and two goaltenders under contract for next season. Comes in at just a shade over $62 million. Uh, so with that flat cap uh, kind of projection that we're putting out there of $81.5 million, uh, leaves the team with a little over $19 million in space and seven spots to fill. The restricted free agents are, uh, you know, highlighted by the obvious one uh, for for most of our Montreal fans. That's Max Dome right at the top. Uh, then you also have Charles Houdon, Xavier Ouellette, and Victor Mete to round out the group. You know, I, I think Dome obviously is going to be the high price option. And the two contracts that I found that I felt were somewhat comparable to what he'll be looking for uh, are going to be Jason Zucker and uh, Tivu Teravainen. Uh, I think he'll come in slightly below that in terms of annual average value uh, or AAV. Um, but, you know, obviously you want to lock in a, a center of his caliber to a long year contract. So I peg something in kind of the five year, $25 million range. Um, it's slightly behind those two guys that I mentioned, though both of them are wingers uh, for the most part. And so, uh, you know, him being a center could see that value, uh, jump up a little bit, you know, who owns a, a difficult one, you know, in 2017, 18, he played 72 games with the club and has slowly seen the number of games played drop in each of the previous two seasons, uh, to this year's 15. Obviously I think, uh, it could come into a situation where he's only going to really get his qualifying offer, which will be about 874,000 uh, there. And this will be a prove it deal. You know, maybe they won't give him the full qualifying. Maybe they'll bump him up a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's going to be a prove it deal for him to say, can you make our 23 man roster here? And, and Ouellette finds himself in kind of a, a similar situation with, uh, you know, limited time in the NHL. And I would expect him to get a qualifying offer, uh, as well. And that'll probably be about it for him. The difficult one, uh, you know, Dome is not going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination. Players, uh, he's 25 years old. He certainly is ready to get paid. And this is the big contract, you know, for the most part. Um, you know, he'll maybe have one more after this one, depending on how long they sign him. But uh, this, uh, with today's NHL, how things are working, this is kind of the big contract for him. But Victor Mete, I think, is the most complicated because of, you know, injury concerns, uh, limited offensive, you know, contributions. He's failed to reach the 20 point mark in any of his campaigns. Um, so I think at best, I still only tie him up for maybe two seasons here and probably in the range of like 950,000 in terms of annual value. Um, I don't think he's quite up to a million. He's a highly touted prospect, you know, coming in. Um, he's played some NHL games, but the injury concerns are, are obviously there. And then the offense just hasn't, uh, you know, shown up in the way that I think a lot of people expected. So, Paul, uh, I guess my two big questions here for you are Max Dome. Do you think five years, twenty five million dollars is, is reasonable? Is he going to garner more than that? Uh, and then uh, what do you do with a player like Victor Mete with those injuries? Well, I look at the Domi case, AJ, and I look at a guy who's had one solid NHL season, and last year was not it. He had 44 points in 71 games, slipping back 28 points from the year before. Uh, he had 72 in 82 games in this career breakout in the first year in Montreal. Before that, he was 35 to 45 points, 50 points maybe in in Arizona with a lot of ice time. 
I think this guy's mouth has gotten him more of a profile than his on-ice ability, quite frankly. And if they pay a cent over $5 million a year, that's too much money. And, you know, in the salary cap area, you've got to be really wary of the mistakes that you can make at the table. And uh, I'm not saying it's a huge mistake, but Carey Price is already on the books for $10 million plus. Shea Weber's on the books for big dollars as well. So they've got, they, while they have a lot of space now, to fill out their roster and so on. It gets eaten up quickly when you start to think of some of the bigger contracts that they have on the books for yet a number of years going forward. So getting it right with Domi is a critical thing. They also have some upcoming depth at center that really might cause a position shift for him. I know he's been moved over to the wing from time to time, but you've got Nick Suzuki, I think, who's going to be the best center of the lot here when all said and done of the current roster, AJ, in the mix. He had a great rookie uh, start last year, and uh, I think he's going to be a lock for a top six position here. And Philip Deneau is, is in the mix, too. Jesperi Kotkaniemi is uh, waiting in the wings to challenge if if he can uh, break out to the level that his draft position uh, told us a couple of years ago he was a very high pick for them and really has has not really broken out yet in in uh, the early part of his career but you know what there's a lot of runway left for him we've talked about it at length and been criticized for some of the ways we we've discussed him i guess but uh, domi has to fit in there in the right way and so uh, i i would not want to overpay more than five million a year in that situation for him so it'd be interesting to see that's the most contentious thing that i see on the horizon for the habs uh, in their RFAs. Victor Mete, another interesting case because they're starred for young defensemen on this club. They're led by Petrie and Sherratt and Weber, all those guys pretty experienced. Kyle, Kyle Alsner's on the books for big bucks, but really a depth guy there too. So they're, they're counting on Mete and Alexander Romanov to, to lead the, uh, the way offensively from the back end. And uh, Mete has had a long run with uh, Shea Weber uh, alongside so really you couldn't ask for a better situation there but really he has struggled with injuries and consistency in his play a little bit and I I think I think uh, getting him under two million a year is critical for the Habs and I don't think it'll be a problem in that regard so that still gives them with the signing of those two players a lot of money to play with in the in the salary cap decisions they have to make Xavier will will let not going to be a big problem. Same with Charles Houdon. I think those guys have both committed about a million dollars each uh, at, at best. So watch for Domi and watch for Mete and uh, should be an interesting outcome for both of them. Well, in terms of unrestricted free agents, then you've got uh, Dale Weiss, uh, Christian Follin, and Keith Kincaid. Look, the two easiest decisions here are, are Weiss and Kincaid. You know, uh, Weiss cost them $2.35 million against the cap. And he played in just 23 outings. That's that's almost $100,000 an outing, um, which is a lot. <laughs> um, so obviously, I think you can let him go. You know, we mentioned, or Paul, you mentioned Nick Suzuki, Charles Sudon, and Jesperi Kautinemi. Uh, all those guys pushing for more opportunities. So you don't need uh, a veteran, you know, 12th uh, or 13th uh, guy eating up cap space when you have youngsters coming in like that. And then Kincaid was buried in the minors for much of the season. Uh, and he's, you know, I think fallen down to third on this depth chart at best uh, behind Charlie Lindgren as, as the number two. So obviously I think you can let him walk as well. So then uh, it comes down to Christian Follin. And look, for me, uh, obviously Carl Alsner was also buried in the minors for the almost the entire year, most of last season. Um, you know, I did a quick look here at, at buyout numbers for him. 
the, the savings this year against the cap, if you bought out Alsner's contract, is relatively minimal. It's like $660,000. Um, that's barely a replaceable player. The, the amount you would save next year is pretty significant in, in terms. It's, it's $2.6 million. So I just... I don't think it's uh, a good time to buy out that contract. I think you wait another year. Again, you know, this would be the prime candidate if the NHL comes out with any sort of free buy contract buyout. I think Carl, Carl Alsner will, uh, you know, see that uh, that hit his desk the, the minute that would become an option here. Um, but I think, you know, whether or not you retain full and I think speaks to if you ha- if the club has lingering health concerns about Mete or the development of, of Ouellette here. And so uh, I think Fullen provides a little bit of security as a, you know, anywhere from five to seven on, on your organizational depth chart in, in terms of a blue line there. And he shouldn't break the bank. Now, two years, two million dollar total, uh, I think, is is pretty reasonable for him. Paul, can you make a case for keeping, you know, Weiss or Kincaid, or, or are they gone for you as well? Oh, Kincaid is definitely gone. You didn't even mention their star goalie prospect, Caden Primo, is in the mix here too, and he might get a look as the backup guy. So Kincaid really has to surpass two young talents that uh, they've earmarked as as goalie, part of the goalie mix of the future behind Carey Price or beside him uh, at least uh, there's uh, Carey Price at 32 years of age still for me one of the top three goalies in the NHL uh, no question in my mind there so uh, there's really no room for Kincaid that's the quick player to discard in this mix uh, Dale Weiss for me it is an intriguing uh, situation with Montreal this is a team that doesn't have a lot of physicality it's been a knock on this club for years that uh, they don't have enough sandpaper in the mix here and Dale Weiss brings it in ample supply but I don't think I want to pay 2.35 million for that if he takes a a haircut uh, to maybe half of that value then I I think you make a case for him sticking around and Foline is in a very tough competition for for ice time there and and uh, has not shown enough to garner much more of than the $800,000 salary that he played out last season. So to, in order, Kincaid is gone. Weiss, if he wants to come back, needs to take a haircut. And Foline could get a, see a marginal bump in play in pay to be a depth player here on this roster, AJ. All righty. So, you know, if you look uh, over at uh, Montreal Canadiens, at uh, Cap Friendly, our, our friends here, uh, who you know are instrumental in putting all this together, there's a, a bunch of RFAs that they have in the minors, but only two of them played in an NHL game this season. And that's Jake Evans and Lucas uh, Vigimo. And really, I think neither one of these guys has played more than 15, uh, you know, uh, games this past season. They both just made their NHL debuts. So I think it's pretty straightforward that they'll both probably just get qualifying offers along with the rest of this list of, of restricted free agents here. I would expect almost all of them, to get qualifying offers from the team and to sign those with without too much heartburn. Paul, uh, I'll just leave it up to this. Is there anybody in that mix? So you're talking, you know, Evans, uh, uh, Joseph Blandisi, Noah Yulson on, on the back line. Any of those guys that are restricted free agents that you think would earn a one-way deal or, or more than their qualifying offer? Because I really don't see it. They I think will, all these guys are destined for qualifying offers. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think they're waiting on Noah Juleson. He was a highly rated prospect out of junior, 
and now heading into a age 24 season coming out of that entry-level deal they'd like to see some growth in his game to really start to answer the question marks that I have for them on the blue line so that's the only one on the back end that's an RFA up front you mentioned they have a whole host of guys there and uh, Jake Evans is one guy that I thought might make the grade at some point uh, he, he's heading his into his age 25 season uh, coming off a $925,000 ticket hasn't really had the chance to show much to to earn an increase but gets the uh, I think they want to keep a look, him in the system so look for him to get renewed a- Aaron Luchuk is another guy that I'm keeping an eye on as well AJ there was some some uh, talk around him this past uh, late around the trade deadline and uh, I I just think that those are the two names among the forwards that I think are intriguing enough that they will easily merit the the qualifying offers that you suggested but like you suggested about all these guys uh, uh, among the RFAs in the minor league ranks, none of them really uh, deserving of much more than that uh, qualifying offer bump that you suggest. Yeah, and so you know, looking at looking at everything in terms of, of a final thought here for Montreal, you know, even if you go a little bit higher in the the AAV for Dome, if if they want to go that route uh, above kind of five million, it's still going to leave this team anywhere from six to eight million dollars to spend on the open market. And, uh, you know, I kind of think, you know, you'll see um, maybe a complimentary piece in terms of a bottom six forward brought in. Maybe if they have concerns about Lindgren or, you know, they want to keep uh, Primo in the minors for a little bit longer to develop, maybe they go out and get a, a veteran backup, uh, you know, to, com- to compete behind price, somebody um, that's not going to cost too much. And even, you know, with that number, you could uh, see them potentially make a run at like a Taylor Hall, Mike Hoffman, Evgeny Dadnoff, uh, you know, if if those guys uh, are allowed to hit the open market. Kyle suggested um, potentially they look at blue line help instead. Um, you know, we talked about it kind of being a, a little, um, you know, log jam there, but certainly uh, you make a way to figure out if they could go after a Tory Krug or a TJ Brody. Paul, uh, I'll submit this question to you in terms of, you know, final thoughts for Montreal here. What do you think would be a better addition to this team? Do you like them potentially going after, uh, you know, Hoffman, Dadnoff, one of those guys in terms of forward? Or do you think it would be better for them to look at a Tory Krug or a TJ Brody? Well, I I think... The question marks around Krug are there for me in terms of being in an in, in injury issue. And the fact is, he's a Michigan native. I've talked about the fact that if he was to leave Boston, I think it would make sense for him in his individual case. If he wanted to go home, Michigan and Detroit makes a lot of sense to me. I don't know that he's the right fit for Montreal. I might suggest, you, you mentioned, uh, Kyle Kyle brought up the name of TJ Brody. I kind of like that thought because they need to bolster that blue line. And this is a guy who has to rehab his reputation a little bit. I don't think he's going to cost near as much as Krug for sure. But we've seen him play a lot better than he did last year. And he could be one of those guys that kind of gets a re- rebirth in a new situation like Montreal. So that's an intriguing possibility up front of the names that you mentioned. I think Taylor Ca- Hall is going to cost too much even for the excess capacity that you've outlined there i think taylor hall is going to wind up in colorado i'll say that 
uh, as a bit of a hot take. I don't know if our listeners agree with that, but I think they're a team that has a lot of cap space. We've talked about them recently as well in this series of, of talks, and, and the fit that he would have over there seems to really scream out for a solid match more than it does in Montreal, in my estimation. Hoffman and Dadunov make more sense if they want to spend the big bucks here in Montreal. If they don't go after defensemen, you can make the case for either one, and I think Hoffman might have the inside track over Dadunov in that circumstance. Well, we'll dive into the Minnesota Wild next then. Uh, this is a team that doesn't, uh, again, not, you know, in my opinion, not a ton of difficult decisions here for, for them. They have nine forwards, six defensemen, and two goaltenders under contract for next season at a price tag of about $65 million. Uh, again, with our flat cap projection here, that's leaving them a little bit over $16 million in cap space, just six spots to fill uh, on that roster. And it starts with two guys that I personally think are, are up and coming, uh, you know, top potentially top six guys in, in Luke Coonan and Jordan Greenway, who are both uh, going to be restricted free agents this season. And uh, this season, Coonan topped the 30 point mark for the first time in his career. And I think Greenway probably would have gotten there as well if the league uh, wasn't forced to, to shut down here. I think they're part of an up-and-coming core as this team in general uh, starts to get a little bit younger uh, than they have been in, in the last uh, couple of seasons. Uh, I think the really, uh, for both players, it's it's kind of a, a, a two schools of thought here. Is the, the two- to three-year bridge deal that maintains RFA rights at the end, or you commit longer on a five- to six-year contract um, that probably saves you, you know, because you're willing to give term, you can probably pay a little lower in terms of AAV in, in the intermediary. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see what, what Bill Guerin does with his first, you know, kind of free agent season here uh, in Minnesota. Uh, for, for these guys, you know, I think for both the players and the club, because of the potential flat cap, I think shorter deals make more sense for, for the players, especially to say, hey, I'll just I'll take that two year deal and cash in in a couple of years when there's more money going around. Uh, a fair comparison for both these guys, again, is kind of similar to the two year six million dollar contract that their teammate Kevin Fiala signed back in September of 2009. Now, they haven't shown the same level of offensive production that Fiala had at that point in his career. So their value, I think, comes in a little bit lower. But I've got Coonan, two years, $5.5 million, and Greenway, two years, $5 million at, at just a little bit less. Paul, do, do you think it makes sense for either side to sign longer term? I really don't. I, I think the club would want to keep their RFA rights at the end and then go into the next contract. And I think that works well for the player. But maybe you see it differently. Long-term deals for either of these guys? I, I would say no, AJ. You made the case that, that the cap is looking like it's going to be flat for a little while yet. So so signing these guys for a couple of years would be certainly uh, something the players would look at, I'm sure, because they want to see the cap go up and see if they can hit a home run later on. They both showed well enough to me to... to think that they're both key parts of the offense going forward Coonan and Greenway we're still talking about here and so I could see them in top six positions uh, before the end of their next short-term deals that you described but the interesting thing in looking at the cap structure in Minnesota is that beyond next season they have a total of six skaters signed so there's going to be a lot of work to be done 
if uh, if they add two more short-term deals to the mix, I'm saying if they go one year, if they go m- multiple years, then you take that problem and punt it down the road a little bit. But uh, a lot of homework for Bill Garrett in the next couple of years because they've got no fewer than seven f- current forwards that will need a contract next year beyond the, the two that you identified this year. So uh, some heavy lifting to be done in Minnesota, but the transition is taking place. I know that uh, we're going to talk about a couple of other forwards in a minute who might leave some space to, to be filled in uh, for these new kids coming up. Yeah, absolutely, Paul. That's a that's a great point. You know, the we can obviously look at it to just next season and, and not necessarily worry about the long-term impacts, um, but that's something that the organization and, and one of the players that you mentioned there uh, that will be up after that is Kevin Fiala. Certainly he is a player that would warrant a, a pretty big bump in pay. Right. Where to find that money, I think, comes from some of these unrestricted free agents uh, that they're looking at for this season. It's Miko Koivu, Alex Galchenyuk, and Carson Saucy. Look, Saucy is, uh, you know, just kind of getting into the the NHL, uh, did play a full 55 games this year, uh, did deal with a, an upper body injury. Um, so I don't see a long-term commitment or significant uptick in, in pay here. Two years at 850 uh, annual, I think, keeps him in Minnesota a little bit longer uh, and lets him kind of compete for that. Uh, he's another guy that's right on that, you know, five to seven uh, in terms of the organizational depth chart here. Uh, look, I don't know that it makes sense to bring back Koivu or Galchenyuk because of some of the minor league guys that they have coming up. And we'll touch on those a little bit later. Um, for me, uh, if they want to, if they want to keep either one of these guys, I don't think you can keep both, but I think if you want to keep one of them, uh, it's definitely not going to be at their current cap hits. These guys both over earned, uh, their production this season. You know, the first question is, does Koivu even want to play another season? He's 37 years old. Um, he could certainly opt to, to hang him up. Um, and he hasn't played more than 60 games in either of the previous two years, and, which has caused him to miss out on the 30-point mark as well. And so he's just not worth, you know, north of, of $4 million uh, in terms of his production. And the same goes for Galchenyuk, who wasn't a fit in Pittsburgh, uh, hasn't really had enough time with Minnesota to kind of show that it, it fits. I think the postseason, honestly, is going to be what determines whether or not they want to keep Galchenyuk around, but if even if they do, it's going to have to be closer to three million than the four point nine million he made this year. So, um, you know, Paul, what is your take on on Koivu and Galchenyuk? Are, are they worth keeping around? I, again, I said I don't think you can keep both. Is one better than the other at this point? I I really think Koivu has dropped started to drop a few hints, AJ, that he might want to do a victory lap in in the Finnish elite league and so I think his days are really numbered at the NHL level there was a drop-off significant drop-off in terms of his game and his health last year that kind of greased those skids for me out of the NHL and you mentioned they have a young younger group that is pushing for more ice time it's going to be his minutes that are going to be distributed to some of those players so I really don't know how you make the case there but I want to turn things around to you about Galchenyuk you got a close look at this guy and in the first four or five years of, of his career in Montreal, he had a lot of high expectations around him. But, you know, in looking at his stats, he did produce between 40 and 55, 56 points in, in most of those seasons in Montreal. So 
decent production. I don't know if it's third overall in the draft level of production there, but uh, there were a couple of seasons where he was limited by injury, and we saw that again last year in uh, Pittsburgh, and then uh, he went on to Minnesota. What was your impression of his overall game, AJ? And do you think that he is a guy that might have a future in Minnesota? He's still young enough that there's plenty of uh, room for him to grow in terms of the career aspirations in in the right situation, but boy, he can't have another season like last year uh, to help help that case. Well, far be it for me to to criticize a, another Wisconsin-born uh, you know player here. Um, little tidbit there: he was born in Milwaukee while his dad was playing for the Admirals. Uh, so we'll claim him as a as a Wisconsin-born player. That's for sure. Um, and to your point, he is uh, a, certainly a, a capable skater and player he works really hard there was never any concerns in pittsburgh about his work rate um, but he is a very uh, streaky player and and sometimes he can go into really hard hard slumps i'm just not sure that his style of play necessarily suited pittsburgh again there were little to no complaints from the the coaching staff on on his ability to put in the work it just wasn't a fit which happens sometimes you know, in the brief uh, time that he was with Minnesota, his numbers weren't bad. Uh, he, you know, kind of got scoring a little bit. And, and it's certainly possible that with the right kind of line mates and the right system, I think he can still be a quality player. But I think at this point, he's just not going to be able to garner anywhere near the $4.9 million that he, that he was making this season. Yeah, that's fair. So we'll get on to those, those minor leaguers that, that we talked about here. And um, so... First, I'll touch on the three guys who played uh, in an NHL game this year. And then uh, there are two other players that, that I want to talk about uh, that will be UFAs didn't get call-ups at all this year. So starting with the, the guys who did play in games, you're looking at Nico Sturm, uh, Brennan Mellon, uh, Mella. I'm sure I pronounced that wrong, so I apologize to him. Manel uh, is what I'm going to go with. We'll see how that holds up. And then Capo uh, Kakonen. Uh, the first two are pretty straightforward in, in Sturm and uh, Mella, Manel, rather. Uh, they logged uh, 10 NHL games at this, and neither one has played in 10 NHL games at this point. They'll get their qualifying offers, and that'll be uh, the, the end of it for those. Uh, Kakonen is trickier. You know, he should, you would think he would understand that at this point, despite being a high, you know, uh, you know prospect here, I think he's still easily third on this team's organizational depth chart behind Dubnik. And I think Alex Stalock has earned himself the number two spot, but both of those guys are over 30 years old. Uh, while, you know, Kakanen's only 23. I don't think a low ball offer is, is going to be advisable here. So you're not going to hand him his qualifying offer because I would certainly see him. You're, oh, you're just going to give me a qualifying offer? Fine. I'm going to go play in Europe for a year or two and make some actual money. Um, so I do think they need to be mindful of that. But I think he also needs to be mindful of their their situation in terms of they're not going to give him a one-way deal and then risk losing Staylock on you know waivers or something like that. I think the best option here that I came up with uh, was a three-year contract for 2.55 million that's an increase on what he's currently making and then i think in the first year it's a two-way contract and then after that it switches to a one-way um and so that would allow them to either 
At that point, consider moving Staylock. They'll have to decide whether or not they want to retain Dubnik at that point when his when uh, Kakonen's contract would become a one-way deal. So I think that's kind of the best way to bridge that gap there. Uh, the two players that I wanted to mention who didn't play in an NHL game uh, this season are Sam Anas and Kyle Rau. Uh, look, Anas uh, led the entire AHL in points this season, and Rao led the league as the top goal scorer. Now, these guys are generally, you know, Kyle uh, in his section talked about the fact that they're 27 years old. Uh, they've played exclusively in the AHL, and so Kyle doesn't really see them becoming NHL Uh, caliber players at this point but i don't think you can achieve that level of success in the minors whether it's system whether it's strong players around us look you don't lead the league in points or goals without getting an opportunity the next year so i think if they're going to stay in minnesota they're going to have to be signed to one-way deals because i guarantee you there are 30 other teams there looking for you know relatively cheap ways to fill out their rosters and what better way to do that with guys like this who you could offer kind of a minimal overall value, but give them a one-way deal. And then if it doesn't work out and Kyle's right that they're AHL players, then you put them on waivers and, and risk losing them. But I just don't see a way Minnesota can keep them by offering two-way deals. I think those guys will get one-way contract offers, and they're both going to be unrestricted free agents, so they're not tied to the organization any longer. So I took up a big chunk of time there. I'll, I'll narrow it down. You know, we don't need to talk about uh, Sturm or, or Manel any further. What do you see the best approach for Kakonen being uh, for for the Minnesota Wild? Well, it it, it really is uh, a, an issue for them because Stalock really rose to the occasion last year, AJ, and at, he's there for a next, a next couple of years on a seven hundred eighty-five thousand dollar cap hit, and he proved himself last year when they needed help. Devin Dubnik dealing with the the health issues of his wife had a very subpar season totally understandable but he's heading into his age 35 year with uh, with a season of uh, 4.3 million dollar cap hit on the record books there so uh, they'll navigate that for one more year but then beyond that they'll be looking for a way to put uh, their top prospect Kakon in the mix and boy he had a fantastic year in, in the AHL in terms of his overall numbers with the goals against it's a shade over to a game and that's why you you have to get creative with the thinking that as you indicated the contract it would really be great for him if they could if for the team if they can get him on a two-way deal for next year to jive with the Dubnik contract as it phases out and then give him a bump when he's projected to be no worse than the backup goalie and probably the the starter in that mix but stay locks uh elevated level of performance last year at a time when they really needed him to come to the fore and that friendly contract means that he's definitely going to be a part of this mix going forward and then you mentioned up front Kyle Rao this guy's been around the fringes in terms of a top player in the AHL for a couple of seasons but last year almost a point per game player and I think you want to find a way to keep that guy in the mix in this circumstance so those are the two pressing things that I see on the horizon for UFAs who are in the minors. Well, as far as, you know, kind of thoughts here, I, I think we'll we'll head into the jackets. I'll just mention, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head here, Paul, in terms of uh, extra value that they might have um, in terms of contracts next season. They are going to have to sign. I mentioned Kevin Fiala. They'll also have a, a year out, Yoel Erickson-Eck and Jonas Brodin all 
will need new deals ahead of that 21-22 season. So you may be on to something there in terms of banking some of that cash uh, for the future. In terms of the Blue Jackets here, they have 13 forwards, 8 defensemen, and 2 goaltenders under contract next season. For almost $74 million, they will have uh, $1.25 million against the cap from Scotty Hartnell's buyout, uh, which leaves the club with pretty much uh, uh, only about $6 million in cap space. But uh, because of how their roster was structured at the end of the season, they have zero spots to fill under the 23-man roster. Now, one of the things I'll, I'll talk about right off the top before we talk uh, free agents here is the situation uh, uh, in the the forward ranks here with uh, Dubinsky. And he is signed uh, for next season uh, and a couple beyond that, uh, I believe. I'm, I'm struggling to find his contract here. There there we go. So it is just next season, $5.85 million. The word around is that the wrist injury is considered chronic. And so I think that might be a situation where we're looking at Dubinsky is going to end up on LTIR for all of next season. Now, nothing to that realm has been uh, announced by the team, but it's certainly something that needs to be watched. It would give them about $11 million in cap space and then just one spot to fill uh, in terms of the the roster here. Uh, But they do have a lot of restricted free agents. I think a lot of the players that currently are pegged as being on the roster right now will head back to the minors once they get healthy. Um, So there's plenty of tough decisions here to make. We'll start with a, a huge restricted free agent group. Uh, you know, you've got Devin Shore, Pierre-Luc Dubois, Josh Anderson, Ryan McInnes, Kevin Stenlin, Jakob Lilia, Vladislav uh, Garavkov. <laughs> Again, uh, I apologize Gavrikov. for struggling. Gavrikov, thank yeah, you, Paul. No problem. Uh, apologize for struggling with some of these names. And Gabriel Carlson, um, I think it's the quick and easy way to get four of these guys off the board for discussions is McInnes, Stenlin, Lilia, and Carlson uh, are all up because of those injuries at the end of the season. They'll get handed qualifying offers, and that'll be about it for them. If 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 one of them got a one-way deal, I think it's Stenlin that would make the most sense uh, for that group. On the blue line, uh, you've got Gavrikov has become a fixture on this lineup. I would expect somewhere in the range of a two-year, $1.5 million AAV uh, annual value contract that retains his RFA rights at the end of it. Now, I am one, if you've read more than one of these cap compliance series, I am rarely one to suggest that you let a player hit free agency who is a restricted free agent. You have that player's rights for a reason. The CBA is written that way on purpose. And so it doesn't make sense in a lot of cases to let a player just walk um, outright. But I think Shore is one of those those players. Uh, you know, he's a fourth liner averaging minimal money and eating up two point three million against the cap. I understand you have his rights, but I think at this point you let him go because even a qualifying offer is going to be equal to its current value right now um, for how much he's making. So you're stuck with him on a one way deal at $2.3 million to, to retain his rights. So I would certainly let him walk there. Now I'll get into the two meteor guys here in terms of, of what we're looking. That's Josh Anderson. Uh, you know, his injury concerns have been uh, certainly an issue. I think if he had been a free agent the year before this past season, 
I would have saw a four-year, $14 million contract similar to what Colorado gave JT Comfer. Um, But now you have that shoulder injury hanging over it. But he can still go back, I think, and point to that 27-goal season that he had. So I think a four-year deal still is on the table here. I just don't think he's going to get over $4 million a year. Uh, because of that, I think you're looking at around $3.75 million for, for where he ends up. And then, obviously, the biggest one here is Pierre-Luc Dubois just missing out on both the 50-point and 20-goal marks this season. Probably would have hit both were it not for the shutdown. If you look at their their three seasons combined, uh, you know, his numbers are, are one of the best on the team over that stretch. And so uh, I really think you need to, to sign him long term. I would go upwards of a six year deal and that commands close to six million dollars a year. I know that's a lot. But as I said, uh, over the three seasons he's been in the league, only one player has produced more points for Columbus, and that's Artemi Panarin, who's obviously not with them any longer. So uh, that makes him their arguably their best player since he's come into the league. So, Paul, I won't uh, you know have you dive in on some of those minor guys that we we talked about. Uh, I'll tip my hand right to Josh Anderson and Pierre Luc Dubois. What do you do with those two guys? Well, the injury situation with Anderson means that a lot of eyeballs will be watching to see how he looks when the play resumes, if it does. Uh, in these upcoming playoffs if they should they come to take place so that'll be his uh, real proving ground you mentioned a year ago it would have been a far different conversation and if he can show that he's that player then I think the numbers that you're talking about would be a steal in terms of getting him for three and a half but if he has a great playoff he can really make himself a lot of money here so that's the challenge for him Uh, I think he has it in him he's a very good skater very good power skating forward uh, with good size and and offensive skill I love his game but uh, nagging injury concerns will really make this a a key evaluation that they got to get right. You mentioned Pierre-Luc Dubois. I love this guy's game, AJ. Big, rangy center, just coming into his own. He was the third player picked in his draft behind Matthews and Laine and really closed the gap. uh, That was pretty sizable between the three players. I think Dubois is going to be much much even much better going forward I think he's only scratching the surface of the type of player that he can be in this league and you mentioned he is going to be a centerpiece for a long while in Columbus so I could see them trying to think at uh, coming into his age 20 two season they might go long term with him and say can we get him to a team friendly but long term deal they would love to do that because as I said his trajectory is nothing but a straight up in my estimation so that's the contentious the negotiation that they're going to have the other players that you mentioned it's going to be qualifying offers or bust for for a lot of them you mentioned that they were also up getting a longer look just because of the size of the injury list that they finished the season with no fewer than five players on injury reserve and uh, four of them are going to come back healthy the Brendan Dubinsky contract looks like it's going to finish up on LTIR as you suggested he didn't play a game at all last season so to me uh, there's been no indication that 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 situation's improved and that gives them a little bit of flexibility which uh, I wonder what they might do with in free agency we can speculate on that in a bit I'm sure but uh, their their cap situation is a little bit muddled too because of a buyout history this past season they had to eat two contracts and next year they'll be eating one and that's the last year for Scott Hartnell being in the mix here so a little more flexibility is coming down the road but you mentioned they have a lot of guys signed up for next year and uh, 
they they might need to get creative maybe in free agency to see if they can hit a home run to round out the squad here that looks to be a pretty impressive one on paper for me well we'll go into the unrestricted free agents and there aren't any which is a really a uh, surprise turn for the team based on where they were heading into this past offseason you know with all the they had their one-year players or their you know expiring contract players that they decided to keep then they added more to try and make a playoff run uh, so in quite the swing if you really want to look for unrestricted free agents with this club you can delve into the minors and they still only have two of them in Doyle Summerby and Dylan Simpson neither of whom has done much in the minors and you know maybe you hand them uh, you know one or two year two-way deal just to keep them with your your AHL affiliate but uh, we'll just dive in to those minor leaguers who did play a game this season again we talked about this being a huge list because of of the the injury woes that the the club had all season it's Marco Dannon Calvin Thurkuth Cole Sherwood and Matias Kivalinkas. Uh, you know the s- easiest two decisions are Thurkuth and Sherwood they have a combined eight games of nhl experience they'll get their qualifying offers and uh, be happy to to have a contract uh Kibalinkis had kind of a pedestrian uh you know year in the minors didn't play a lot because there were some injuries that he was you know up and down a little bit so he went nine eight and three with a 2.96 goals against average and really i think is going to end up having to sign his qualifying offer as well here um, you know, Dano is maybe the only one that's a little bit more difficult. He has just 30 games NHL experience with Columbus over the past two seasons, but he has a total of 141, uh, you know, games at, at the top level here over the course of a six year career. I think he's still going to be stuck on a two way deal, um, but certainly a slight raise to given his experience, um, would, would make sense in, in, in that stretch. So, um, Paul, is, is there anybody in, in this minor group that, that really stands out in terms of needing something more than a qualifying offer? Well, Kivleniks is, is the guy that everybody's going to focus on in, in the mix for this category that you've defined. But really, there's a ceiling above him because they've got a really nice tandem in the big leagues uh, with Corpusella and Merzlikens holding down the, the NHL jobs. So they'll need that insurance, and Kivleniks knows it. Uh, maybe he'll try and squeeze an extra hundred grand out of them, but there's no giant contract coming his way. It's going to be a little bit more than a qualifying offer to keep him in the mix as that uh, depth guy in the net mining situation. Marco Dano is a guy that's uh, been in the NHL, a couple of cups of coffee in, the, in his past, and uh, that makes him useful in terms of the go-forward position among uh, all the other candidates that you mentioned that are RFAs here for me. He stands ab- above the class just because he has had the, that little bit of an experience at the NHL level and really not done a ton with it, but, you know, 19 goals at 45 points in 141 NHL games. Nothing to sneeze at, I guess, all told, but last year only three games with Columbus. The year before, eight games with Colorado and no points in either one of those stints. So uh, maybe I'm overselling him, but that's the only name that leaps off the page for me in terms of the uh, minor league uh, affiliated players who might be guys that are some sort of a priority going forward. Well, in terms of of final thoughts here with Columbus, you know, the biggest decision that they're going to have to make is whether or not Dubinsky is going to be able to play. And that's really going to determine what they can even offer Pierre-Luc Dubois, because, 
you know, when you shuffle things around with these contracts, you put the guys who are on IR right now back into the the lineup. They eat up a, a lot of cap space. You know, you've got Seth Jones currently listed as on IR. He's five point uh, 5.4 against the cap. D. Kukan is like 1.6. Um, and so it, it certainly goes quick. And so they're going to need kind of clarity on Dubinsky's wrist injury, whether or not he's going to play this season to decide if they can even afford to give Pierre-Luc Dubois a big long-term uh, deal there. I think the other issue, you know, we've talked about in a lot of cases, teams where they can add and, and stuff like that. Well, unfortunately, if you look at players on, on the blue line on one-way deals, they've got eight defensemen who would just easily, just by nature of being on one-way deals, be on their opening day roster. Not a lot of teams want to do something like that. And so I look for them to do one of two things. I think either you try and trade a player like Marcus Nutavara, who could have a little bit of value as kind of a depth, maybe a third or four defenseman, depending on where he ended up. Or you're going to have to place a guy like Kukan or Scott Harrington on waivers and hope they clear in order to move them to the minors. Additionally, in terms of the forward ranks, uh, Eric Robinson, his deal, uh, his extension kicks in next season and sees him on a one-way deal. And again, I just don't see how the numbers fit, um, especially when you've got guys that I like a little bit better in Stenlin and Lilia, who I think make more sense. So he's another one that could end up on waivers to start the season uh, as well. So it'll be interesting to watch what this team does in, in kind of the shuffle. It's one of the more interesting teams to look at in terms of having to actually subtract potentially from their their roster um, you know, heading into next season. So, Paul, any final thoughts, or should we dive into that 2008 NHL draft? Well, I want to talk about a couple of players that you mentioned. Dean Kukan signed an extension of $1.65 million over his uh, uh, 725000 that he plays out this season. So going forward, they locked in on him for two more years, and I don't think they want to turn away from that just yet. And uh, maybe that's insurance against the possibility, as you suggested, uh, that they could look at trading uh, Scott Harrington or Marcus Nudevera and save some money in that transaction, uh, activating the, the cheaper contract of the three, I guess, is one way of looking at it. And uh, maybe if they can get rid of the Nudevera deal, they save about a million dollars on on uh, swapping him out for Kukan in that, uh, in that uh, depth chart. But other than that, uh, boy, the thing revolves around, for me, the Dubinsky situation. We've talked that one to death uh, as well. So I don't think there's much need to talk more about this. Uh, this, team, this is one of the few teams that has most of their positions and, and money accounted for. And uh, unless they want to make a bit of a splash in free agency, I don't think there's much uh, that we can anticipate from this club going forward. Well, absolutely. Well, before we get into to the 2008 draft, I'll give you the forecast for the week. Uh, we're going to start out with Nashville uh, later today. I will have that up Thursday. We'll take a look at the New Jersey Devils, and then we'll round out the week with the Ottawa Senators. For some reason, nobody really wants to talk about the Los Angeles Kings, at least based on the Twitter polls that, uh, that I've put out there. But eventually we'll get to them and the rest of that Pacific division. Um, but yeah, again, this week it'll be Nashville, New Jersey, and Ottawa. All right, partner, we go into the 2008 draft. And as I mentioned off the top, it's one of those that's different from any of the other ones that we've had so far uh, in our series of about 12 drafts that we've done already. Uh, they've got some name recognition guys on the, on the, in the nets. They've got uh, a very thin 
uh, depth chart in terms of uh, scoring exploits among the forwards. But boy, a whole raft of defensemen who are going to be uh, were on, are on trajectory for a Hall of Fame caliber career. I, I had number five players in this class that I would expect to to be contenders for the Hall of Fame by the, by the time their careers are done. So curious to know how this this is going to direct our picks. But I don't think there's much of a surprise with the first one that you're about to make. Yeah, absolutely not. When you look at points in this class, Steven Stamkos ahead of the rest by over 200, uh, you know, only one over 800 points, only one over 700 points. He's the only one over 300 goals. Uh, <laughs> and only one other player even has 200 goals in this class with his, his 422. So Steven Stamkos, first overall pick by Tampa and first overall pick by me. Absolutely, AJ. And I'm going to stay in the forward ranks despite the depth chart on the blue line because I don't think I could go wrangle with any of the five players that I was thinking about there, but curious to see what you might do. I don't want to fall too far behind in the forwards, but you mentioned there's a gulf of difference between the first and the second. I'm going to go to that second pick and take Jordan Eberle with my first pick. When this guy was in junior, AJ, he was the Canadian junior player of the year in his graduating season, and I thought he was going to be an absolute stud for the Oilers when they picked him 22nd overall. His hockey IQ in junior was off the charts for me and and while he has 518 points in 724 games i think he's capable of more still at this stage in his career and uh, i'm i'm uh, gonna take him with my first pick well i'm gonna go a little bit outside of the box for what we've done lately but there's one player in his position group that is just uh, heads and tails above the rest and for me that's Braden Holpe. Went in the fourth round, 93rd overall to the Washington Capitals. Uh, has a Stanley Cup uh, ring to his name at, at, and could certainly still add to that. And so I will go ahead. I've got the best forward. I'll take the best uh, goaltender in this draft as well. All right. Uh, and I kind of thought this was uh, the way it's going to go. Uh, but I'm going to look for depth among my forwards, AJ. And uh, I will let you think you're probably going to go f- find a defenseman sooner or later. And you may be able to say you got the best forward, best defenseman, best goalie. My challenge <laughs> is to be the most well-rounded club. And that's why I'm going to stay among the forward ranks and pick up Josh Bailey with my next pick. Uh, he was drafted ninth overall by the Islanders and had a decent career there so far. 476 points in 865 games for a guy who is a centerpiece of the Islanders' offense. So I've got two players from the Islanders as well, my first two picks here. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's certainly uh, an interesting look. You know, it's one of those things. There's so many blue liners here. I don't think either of us is really going to be disappointed with who we can get. And so... Um, I'm actually going to skip that as well. I'm going to go Cam Atkinson and probably uh, the value selection of this draft went uh, in the sixth round, 157th overall to Columbus. Uh, Just needs two more goals to reach that 200 mark and become uh, just the second player in this or third player rather in this uh, draft class to hit that threshold. Okay, so you're going to give me a chance to pick who I think is the best defenseman in this class. And uh, I'm going to go with a guy who's had a distinguished career, 919 games with the Los Angeles Kings, a two-time Stanley Cup winner, and that's Drew Doughty. For me, uh, the best two-way defenseman in this class, 
and uh, maybe the second best offensive defenseman when it's all said and done. He currently ranks number two on this list, but uh, I'll, I'll be happy to take Doughty with my, uh, my pick to start the, maybe a run on the blue liners. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll join you on the, on the blue line mix here. And I'm actually going to go uh, with John Carlson was selected 27th overall by the Washington Capitals uh, has really come on uh, in the last you know couple of seasons here as an offensive force. And I would argue ha- certainly has the potential to catch uh, the, you know, the top, uh, the top spot for scoring defensemen here uh, before this is all said and done. So uh, I will make that argument, Paul, I've got the best forward, the best goalie, and now the best blue liner in this group. <laughs> I am going to continue to run on defensemen. I'm not going to take the top scorer, though. I'm going to take Alex Pietrangelo with my next pick, AJ. 450 points. He's just coming off a Stanley Cup winning season and uh, really an elite defenseman who is uh, adept at both sides of the puck. So quite happy to get him. And we've avoided the top guy on the blue, among the blue liners. And uh, we're going to talk about him when eventually he's picked. Is that happening right now? It's not. I'm actually going to go with a different defenseman here and a, a player who's a better two-way option, uh, I believe. And that's uh, Roman Yossi, second-round pick, 38th overall by Nashville. Still can produce offensively, has over 400 points. Um, I agree Petrangelo was the better of those two, two players, um, but they're both uh, so well-rounded in their game. I, I think it was an either-or situation for me. I would have been happy uh, to take either one. Well, I'm going to get around to taking Eric Carlson then, AJ, with my next pick. And uh, I know we're both uh, skittish about the defensive side of this guy's game, which has been highlighted more in a negative sense in the last couple of seasons. But before that, he was a guy that people were talking about being one of the more valuable players to his team in the NHL. So uh, if I get the early career Eric Carlson level of play i'm happier than the most recent one that we've seen where he's been a bit of a turnstile in his own defensive end but boy he's still an elite scoring blue liner and man i've got a very nice looking defense when i consider carlson dowdy and pietrangelo as my uh, trio there uh, it's a big three that that i can be really ha- happy with i think putting carlson in the second pairing yeah, it's it's definitely a, a deep group here. And now we're going to have to look at, at some forwards. And, you know, I think it's it's definitely a thin um, class. There's some outstanding players here, but it, it certainly gets a little thin uh, after after that. I think I'm going to go with Adam Henrique, uh, third round selection by the New Jersey Devils. And I think part of his numbers being held down has been the fact that the Devils haven't been very good the last few seasons. Um, and certainly, you know, he's played in 665 games. He's got experience, um, you know, uh, over 150 goals and assists in his career. And so trending upwards, I think he's not going to end up being, uh, you know, the toast of this class by any stretch of the imagination, but a solid second, you know, solid second line center, in, in my opinion. And I'm going to take a guy who who was drafted as a center, uh, fourth round, 121st overall, Gustav Nyquist. He's had a couple of 60-point seasons in his career, and I think we're going to see a couple more before it's all said and done. I think this guy has a wealth of skill and in the right circumstance can continue to be that, uh, I'll say, second-tier scoring threat that uh, teams are looking for for second-line depth for sure. Well, I'll round out, uh, you know, my first line here. I, I haven't even picked a full first line yet, um, but a player that went seventh overall. I think if you were doing a, a re, 
a redraft of actual like you know draft position i I doubt he's a first round select he might be a first round selection but definitely not seventh overall and that's colin wilson 113 goals 173 assists certainly a, a quality player and can produce, but I doubt that uh, Nashville would necessarily still take him seventh overall uh, if they were redoing this this draft. And uh, I'll take the only other guy that is uh, a scorer of some note, I'll say offensively with my next pick before a bit of a drop-off into the 200-point range. Uh, Mikhail Bodker is the guy that I will pick in this spot. Eighth overall, out of the Kitchener Rangers, pretty good minor league uh, uh, OHL team there. They have a tr- track record of bringing players into the NHL from that system. He's another guy that graduated there, has 327 points in 709 games. So basically looking at a 40-point guy in the mix at this point for me. Well, and I'll take uh, Tyler Ennis. Has has 313 points, drafted 26 overall by Buffalo. Uh, and I really think uh, a solid you know he's not a top line guy by any stretch of the imagination but i think he can certainly produce uh in in kind of that second third line mix and and adds a little bit of a grit to a a lineup as well yeah i like ennis's game aj it just seems that whenever he's put in a scoring line scoring situation he produces offense so a nice pick by you at this stage in the draft I'll pick the last uh, offensive player that I'm going to choose, I think, out of this mix, and that's Zach Smith, uh, a forward who has moved around uh, in terms of positional, uh, but I think useful piece as a depth forward for me, maybe second, third line, kind of a bridge player and uh, a guy that uh, didn't live up to the draft status of being, well, I guess third round, 79th pick overall. That's kind of accurate in the summation in terms of where his career has taken him so i'll recant that and take him with my eighth pick overall well i'll go with uh i'll go with tommy wingles to round out my my forward compliment here and i I think you know his numbers aren't outstanding but he's also played in fewer games than most of the other guys at, at the top of the list just 448 uh i think there's still plenty of time for him to develop uh, into you know more of a of an offensive piece here it's admittedly a, a little bit of a riskier pick I'll, I'll i'll admit that right off the top but uh, there aren't a ton of forward options here uh, left so I'll, I'll take a flyer on tommy wingles and then i'm gonna have a policeman on my team aj and that's uh, a guy that i got to see in toronto for a few years and i love the way this guy stuck up for his players and uh, he he's not got the stone hands of some of the other uh defense uh pugilists in the league but uh uh, matt martin is a guy i have a lot of time for a real good team guy and uh my dressing room will be happy to have him in there well i'll take one more defenseman here and there's there's a handful of guys that you could look at you know tyler myers uh jared spurgeon tj brody but just because i want to you know give you a hard time i'm gonna take jake gardner who's <laughs> 17th overall by the anaheim ducks had an illustrious career with toronto that paul uh, enjoyed every moment of and i know wishes he was still with the team you are incorrect kato <laughs> but i love this shot across the bow excellent move and i'm gonna finish up i get the goalie that uh, i I mean, Braden Holtby, the head of this class for sure, but Jacob Markstrom had a breakout campaign last year and is starting to show that he's an elite caliber goalie. I would rate him easily among the top 10 in the league right now. 
and uh, he might close the gap on some of the other guys ahead of him before he's said and done because I like the situation that he's in in Vancouver. So I'll grab uh, Markstrom with my last pick in this draft, AJ, to round it all out. And uh, uh, very... Can't believe you didn't take Michael Hutchinson. <laughs> Saw enough of him to realize that that would be a mistake over the, the guy that I had a look at. I mean, and we've left Anders Lindback in the pile, Dustin Tokarski. Uh, any other players that you think would have merited consideration had we gone a couple more rounds here, AJ? Yeah, I mean, certainly Jake Allen. You know, if we were looking at, at backup netminders as as um, kind of options, you know, I mentioned a couple of, of blue liners that, that could have been in the mix as well. I think one player who was not going to come up on our list and maybe one of the reasons why uh, the the Thrashers aren't a team anymore is Zach Bogosian going oh, yeah. third overall to Atlanta. Um, obviously a bit of a miss in terms of a, a third overall pick uh, in this draft. No question. And you can add Luke Shen, fifth overall by the Maple Leafs. And that's made worse by the fact that they traded up to pick him. So uh, a couple of misses at the top of the draft board, even though Shen's still kicking around the NHL, as Bogosian is too, but nowhere near the draft uh, capital that we thought that either player was going to be aj we're continuing to crank out these shows and i'm still enjoying it but uh, boy the specter of hockey on the horizon has got me more than a little excited and uh, i i can only anticipate when they start to really uh, nail down the next phase of of uh, the process we're just now entering phase two where teams and players are starting to gather in their home cities uh, there we saw a couple of clips yesterday i saw one of Edmonton players on the ice and it just uh, got me giddy a little bit because I thought man this might really happen I still have a bit of a sense that boy is this really going to take place are we going to actually see hockey but seeing the players on the ice gave me a real sense of hope and I wonder if you shared that yeah absolutely I mean it's always nice to kind of get into um, a sense of normalcy as as our listeners no doubt can imagine not having uh, sports has made uh, you know, working at a fantasy sports website, a little, a little tricky at times, um, you know, finding ways to continue to, to produce content. And, you know, that's one of the benefits here is this cap compliance series has been completely made possible um, by the fact that there's some extra time to really look at, uh, you know, the cap situations on a team by team basis. And we're going to continue to do all of that. We should have plenty enough time before we get hockey uh, back to cover all 31 clubs and and it's been uh, a lot of fun and, and we'll keep doing it and keep talking about it well and and we're probably going to be talking about fantasy league formats going forward i know at rotowire a couple of our senior execs are trying to drum up interest in the in one of the leagues that i uh, have been a part of uh, at the home out of the home office aj and uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see what they can do with the upcoming playoff structure they want to do a playoff pool and i'm all ears because uh, that is also another thing that we can look forward to talking about if the games do get to play being played we'll even incorporate a fan duel segment going forward i uh, it's been a long while since we've been able to do that so really some uh, some hope on the horizon and uh, that's what we're selling here as we, we close out today's episode that wraps up uh, another episode of podcast with statsman and aj our next episode a week from Today, Tuesday, June the 16th, uh, by my quick math, AJ. Please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen into podcasts to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>